When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, Whiskey Ginger fans? Welcome back to the show. If this is your first time joining, I've said this before, please subscribe, tell someone you like it, you love it, give it five-star reviews. Do all the things that you need to do to spread the Whiskey Ginger word around town. Here's what's going on as far as the stand-up goes. AndrewSantino.com is the place for dates. We're changing so many different things. So I'm trying my best to keep the site updated given what's going on and restrictions. Um, it's state-by-state. I, I, I can do only what I can do. I'm sorry. Uh, for more content, you can go to Patreon. Uh, the Patreon link is going to be below, uh, and andrewsantito.com links you to the Patreon as well. So we get more Cheeto chat content, one-on-one stuff. And also our merch is launching, uh, July 10th. New merch. We got that new merch, new merch, new merch, new shirts. We got that new merch coming out July 10th. In the meantime, go to the uh, Patreon if you want to join that, get some more content. And as far as dates for stand-up, andrewsantino.com and things will be shifting around. So I'm doing my best. We're all doing our best. We're trying the best we can to make all this stuff function uh, and get back to normal. Enough from me. Let's get to the episode. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. You were that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like vampires, the ginger gene is a curse. Gingers are beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Whiskey Ginger. My guest today is one of my favorite people on earth. I say that for all my guests, but I mean it once again today is Mr. Sebastian Menescalco. Sebastian, thank you for coming on, dude. Como estai? Como estai? Como estai? Como estai? Brother, thank you for doing this. Uh, we've been trying to connect. I tried it. We were going to have you in the studio, but sadly that didn't work because uh, the pandies got us all locked down. But you're in one of your 17 libraries, so thank you for doing this from one of your many libraries. How many of those books back there are actually uh, readable? Are they all decoration? Yeah, I haven't touched one book. Um, these are all for uh, my Zoom calls. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, this is your Zoom room? Is that your Zoom room? <laughs> so uh, how many of these things have you been doing in terms, not just podcast stuff, but have you been doing a lot of like, uh, like uh, meetings and stuff like that in the business over Zoom? Yeah, so once a week, probably I have a, a Zoom meeting uh, to just to go over um, uh, really nothing uh, with my team in regards to working. Uh, I have done two Zoom corporate events, which I was reluctant to do just because I was unsure how comedy would translate through a laptop. Uh, and when the offer came in, they wanted me to do like 45 minutes of comedy standing in front of a laptop. I go, that, that's, that doesn't work. The comedy no. is more enjoyed in a, in a live setting. But right. uh, it was, <clears throat> we had a moderator. Uh, basically, I describe it to like a, like a late night talk show when you're sitting down uh, with Kimmel or Fallon and they have set questions to give you a launch pad to talk about some stories. So it, it really worked. I was shocked 
how well it went. And then I did some crowd work through Zoom, just, you know, picking up people. Um, And and after being really reluctant to do it, I found it to be quite enjoyable. And I I would never do a Zoom stand-up comedy show, but if, if corporations are looking for some type of entertainment to to give to their uh, employees while we're in a full-blown i don't even know what you call this anymore uh yeah and uh, it it worked so yeah uh, and other than that you know i got two kids a three-year-old and a one-year-old and for the last 75 days i've been just at home cooking and just like everybody else just waiting waiting to get out i'm like a lion bro i know I'm I'm like set up to work. That's just kind of my it's in my DNA. Don't get me wrong, I, I like the there was a pause button here where we could kind of relax a little bit from everyday life, but you know, after a while you just you know, you run out you're running out of things to do. It's just it's not it's not normal. Right. Now I feel the same way. I, I, I at the beginning I looked at it kind of as a blessing. I was on the road, like I I ended my last tour and I started a new tour and I was just kind of going, oh, going, going. Huh. I, I, I'm going to tell this leaf. The guy's this guy's doing leaf blowing. <laughs> Sebastian's uh, calming down his leaf blower outside. Um, and people might not know uh, while he takes a break that uh, Sebastian's leaf blower is one of five full-time leaf blowers on his property. He's a collector of oak trees. <laughs> Uh, you, you have 35,000 oak trees on your property. Is that right? right. That's right. So he's got five full-time leaf blowers, um, six full-time gardeners and three full-time kitchen staff. No, you're right, man. It's been a nightmare. Look, I, I kind of, me and the old bag, that's what I call my wife. Podcast listeners know the old bag. And I, it was, it was a happy time because at the beginning I was like, oh man, I don't have to be constantly going, going, going. So it felt good. Especially because last year I did a, I stopped filming a TV show and then I went right on the road, so it was nice to kind of hang out for a little while. And then you hang out with your wife for a little while longer, and then you're like, "I'm done. I gotta go. I don't want to do this anymore. I like seeing you, but not all the time. I don't want to see. I don't think I want to see anybody all the time. I, we need like a separation, both for, for you know, for physical and mental uh, enjoyment in the relationship. It's been hard being like these schedules are cramped. Now she works from the house now, you know, so it's just kind of like a, it's, it's getting a little too chaotic. So doing podcasts is my favorite. This is like my relief system for me. It's like, this is the only time I get to check out from home and not thinking about how much I'm not touring. Cause I, I saw you posted your tours are, are rescheduled all for 2021, right? Nothing this year. Yeah. As far as, uh, uh, as of now, everything's mm-hmm. kind of, or adjusted to 2021. Um, I mean, I told I told uh, my agent when this first started. I said I, I don't see me performing until the fall yeah. of 2021, just because this pandemic uh, has scared people so much. I don't see them gathering in a 3,000 seat theater anytime soon. However, uh, I don't know. I think that's changing based on the fact that. We went from a pandemic. And I went to listening to Fauci for sixty nine days, and now I can't find. Him. I know, dude, he ran. He's gone. He got on a plane. He's out, bro. He left the United States. This, there's no chance he's still in the U.S. Fauci went right to Trump. He's like, listen, I, I'm out. 
I'm not doing this shit anymore. <laughs> Jumped on a jet and was gone. Even Trump's been in a bunker, man. He's he, like everybody in government. That's why I said a while ago, it's, it's gotta be no conspiracy. Everybody in government, uh, ha- they gotta have the cure. They have to have a, a, a vaccine. And half of those guys, I think just took off. They were like, give me the thing. I gotta go. I'm going to go to, I'm going to Italy. I'm going to live on a boat for seven months. Like David Geffen and these guys on these yachts, you know? That's what I, that's what, if I had enough money, I would have done that. I, I told Rogan, I was like, you should be on a, on a boat somewhere living. I wouldn't be in LA. If I had enough, if I had enough, I'd be gone by now. I have to be here doing this shit. You know, I don't have a choice. Hey, you, you, um, I, I want to talk to you about some Chicago connections. Uh, I'm from Chicago. You're from Chicago. Um, you're, uh, you're an Arlington Heights guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Arlington. yeah. My grandfather worked at uh both this shows you my uh level of class the dog track and arlington and and the horse track so he did both maywood and arlington a grandfather what did what he do oh he was a he was a he was a window guy he was a ticket guy yeah he was pulling tickets yeah he was at what he really did was uh lose uh my grandmother's house four times that's really what he did he gambled away my family's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we can laugh at it now because she died and he's got the house again. No, but he, it's it, my grandfather is a gambler who's been a gambler his whole life. Never was into drugs or drinking or never like never got mixed up in any kind of scene was like an athlete was a in, like always in great health and great shape. And then at some point in his life stopped kind of his, you know, all positive moving parts of his life and put everything away and then started gambling and then gambled bad for a long, long time until I don't know, probably his late sixties that it calmed down. It was, I mean, it was nuts. His wow. whole life was at the track. I mean, when I was a kid at this, why I'm curious to, for, for you, when I was a kid, my grandfather used to take me, um, to the track at night. There would be like, have you amateur boxing nights? Did you ever go to see those or no? No, I, I, I didn't quite grow up on the track. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey man. Hey man. Some of us are a little bit trashier than others. I used to love it, man. I used to love going to see amateur boxing nights. It was, it made my, it, like of all the negative things that I was taught about from my mother years later about the culture of what was going on in those late night rooms of betting and OTBs and stuff. It was fun to go with my grandpa and go watch amateur boxing. Cause to me, they were superstars. Like I thought it was ESPN. You know what I mean? Like I thought I was watching uh, it. Truth be told, I was watching two guys from Cicero just beat the shit out of each other. But I thought it was, I thought it was the, the highlight of ESPN boxing, HBO night type of stuff. But no, I, I used to go there and watch. Do you, you, you didn't know about any of that stuff though. Did you ever hear about that? The boxing stuff? No, no I, I, I lived right by Arlington park racetrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my grandfather took me there to watch the, the horses, but I had no idea that there was an amateur boxing. Uh, yeah. Uh, event. Um, is this what in the eighties? No nineties. It, well, 90s, maybe, actually, no, you're probably right. Probably the late 80s, late 80s, early 90s is when I used to go. That's when my grandfather was really like in the, in the thick of it all. And I used to say when I was a kid, I didn't know my grandfather's business associates. You know, I didn't know what that was. And my mom, when I was older, was like, I mean, his best friend's name is Joe the Hat. That's not a legal name, <laughs> Joe the Hat. I was like, right. But <laughs> I just, it never registered. I didn't, it didn't make any sense. Because for me... I was, a, I grew up in the city until, um, junior high. And then we moved to 
the western suburbs. And so, like, my you dad, in Naperville. Oh, you did? Yeah. Uh, my parents moved out to Woodridge. My, well, my mom remarried and moved to Woodridge. My dad still lived in the city. And when I would go see my dad, it was always like, go to the track or, you know what I mean? Like, I got to, I got to live that other lifestyle. And then my mom would, of course, because of the divorce, my mom was like, you know, there's nothing good going on wherever they are. I'm like, I loved it because it was nothing but excitement. You know what I mean? Like, to take me to go see boxing go get food at three 30 in the morning. And I was with degenerate gamblers. You know what I mean? It was like the, to me, that was like life. That was, that was super exciting. But when we moved to the Western suburbs, you know, everything was, everything changed. Everything was so, so different for me. And my mom just continued to work downtown and still to this day goes downtown every day. So the piece of me that like misses Chicago the most is miss, missing all that culture and life like you ever miss that a lot living in LA do you ever miss all that culture and all that life yeah you know um I do miss Chicago because that is kind of where my nucleus is for my friends uh when I moved I you know I I have acquaintances I wouldn't say I have like really deep relationships with anybody other than the four guys back home and we we kind of talk uh, every week and you know st- you know like Chicago Chicago guys there's something about Chicago guys and hanging out and breaking each other's balls you have to have like a thick skin to kind of hang out with guys back home mm-hmm. and we just such a kick out of it it's it's just you know and I came out here in 98 I never really had that um, kind of camaraderie with a group of guys that I had back in Chicago so I do I do miss it, although it sounds like you grew up in a very kind of colorful, um, exciting, you know, uh, the, whether it be the boxing or racetrack or gambling or you know, Joey the Hat. Uh, <laughs> it's probably bad for me, bro. It was probably terrible. What do you mean? It's like a, you grew up, you probably grew up in a stable home. I, I grew up in a, it, it wasn't bad. It was really nice. I, I, you know, I, I could, I can't complain. It was just my two worlds were so different. You know, my dad's life and city life. And then my mom, my stepdad, the suburbs was, it was just so different. And I had been a, a single, my mom was a single mother until she met my stepdad and they had a kid together. My, my sister and I are nine years apart. You know what I mean? Like where most families, you know, you grow up with your brothers, your sisters, and you have this, this bond. And I didn't have any of that. So for me, when I would go to visit my dad, you know, like that was, you know, I didn't have the brothers and sisters to play with and hang out with and talk about that was kind of my, these two extremely unique, separate worlds. You know what I mean? So I, I got to bounce back and forth, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a life of chaos. I wasn't out at nine selling cigarettes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was, <laughs> but still, but you're right though. There is a thing about Chicago guys that, yeah, my friends are the, like, you know, you, your, your agents or managers or whoever out here can compliment you to the day, you know, to the day is done. But one phone call from one friend from Chicago can put all that in the trash, right? <laughs> like every nice thing everyone's ever said to you out here can go within seconds from a friend from back home. Oh, you think you're a big shot? You think you're a, I saw you on TV. Do you look fat? You know, like one word from one friend. Do I look fat? Yeah, you look fat and you got no lips. Like that, right? It's like just a couple of hits and then you're like, all right, I'm back to square one. I'm not such a hot shot anymore. You, you, yeah, yeah go ahead, go ahead. Uh, it, it really does, you know, to echo what you're saying. It, uh, it, they kind of keep you in line, not that you were getting big-headed at all, but it's just, you know, the the, the ripping and the, 
you know, I went back home and uh, I was doing a show and there was just like, there's not, there's no real, like, um, I think it's just a negative vibe, you know, like back home. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. Positively was until, you know, I you know, met my wife and I came out here and, and you know, like, people are like, very like, oh, yeah, you know, like, good job. And namaste. Is- namaste. <laughs> namaste, Sebastian. Now, yeah. It's not, it's, it's not, a, there isn't a lot of that, uh, you know, Bobby Lee says this to me all the time. He's like, you have this anger, this like, this like, an- this, th- it's not really anger. It's just kind of like a um, aggressive sense of reality. I feel like that's what most people from our area f- feel, this aggressive sense of reality. They have very passionate opinions about things. They're very forward with their thoughts. Out here, people are kind of more masked. They're m- much more... Um, you know, in the gray, they're on the fence about stuff, about what they should say and who, you know, back home, it's just very, I used to make fun of my dad would, uh, the first thing my dad would do, and it's embarrassing. A lot of the behavior is embarrassing, but funny. He would find out the waitress's name or server's name, sorry. And, uh, you know, Margaret and okay. He go, okay, I'm Margaret. Nice to meet you. I'm Rick. Okay. Nice to meet you. And then abuse that to the day is done across the restaurant. Margaret, Margaret, come can we get some more, please? Like, oh, I mean, that's the culture. But for some reason, that's okay back home. Do you know what I mean? For Like, out here, that would never fly. It would be, a, a blog would be written about you. You'd be condemned. But it's just this very people-friendly, aggressive. None of it is um, has any intent to be negative. It's just heavy-handed. We're very, like, heavy-handed people, you know? Yeah, I mean, especially during the pandemic, you know, I'd call home and it's like, uh, fuck the mask, not wearing no, you know, like, pussies wear mask, you know, it's like that. <laughs> That's like, so true. Oh, you wearing a mask? What's it going to stop, huh? You from talking to a broad if you see her out, you, you're a puss. You're a puss and you're never going to die from it. Get over it. Yeah, there is this very, this condemnation of the behavior. I want to ask you this, this the, the, the friendship thing reminds me, you, um, uh, uh, you, you were on, on Comedians of Cards Getting Coffee, and I think you asked the question to Seinfeld, you said, do you have a best friend? Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. You said that, I don't, I don't want to mess up the, the rhetoric, but I think you said, do you, who's your best friend? I think that's what you said. And he responded with, best friend? how childish or sophomoric he, he said is it if it's like what a childish concept right <laughs> and and it made me laugh but then i started to think deeper about it and i go i bet you that's just the worlds of difference of jerry's idea of friendship as an adult and yours because i said i still have a best friend like cheesily enough you know what i mean like i definitely still have a best friend i probably got two of them you know what i mean and I was like, I bet you Sebastian still has a best friend, but now he won't talk about it because Jerry said, best friend? Like, how, how childish. Yeah, right? He's 60-some-odd years old, and he's like, yeah, best friend. No, I still have best friends like you, you know? I mean, yeah, uh, I got guys that I'm really close to back home that I consider my best friends. And I, I don't know if that he hadn't heard that term in a while. And, uh, <laughs> I don't think home, he had. Yeah. But, um, like I thought, his best friend was um, the guy that uh, Mario Joyner that uh, you know, he opened, he opened a lot for him. So yeah, yeah. he in front or, or George Wallace, he's a good friend. So I don't know. It's one of those things where you're in the the you know 
Sometimes you do those shows and you're like, you know, that's branding. <laughs> so, um, do you guys ever trade bracelets? Do you have friendship bracelets? Do you have charms that you share? Yeah, it, it just made me laugh because you were so genuine in, in your inquiry. It was so honest. And I could, I could tell it was because perhaps his, his comedian response, the way we comedically respond to things, is either because we're uncomfortable about it or we feel a little bit of shame that it's not true. You know what I mean? Where you're like, if everyone in the room goes, yeah, we all love that. And then you really don't internally. So you go, hey, what, what do you love about it? You know, it's like a, a lashing because you're kind of embarrassed or what? I mean, there's a, you have to take a comedic take on it. I feel like you had to because it was almost like, oh no, best friends is such a dumb concept. But I still have guys that I say my best friend. I mean, I'll probably say that to the day I die because it's guys that you know you've been through shit with and so much has changed over the years. Even we've changed. You know, my wife asks me all the time. She always goes, um, if someone I haven't talked to in a long time reaches out and she goes, would you still be friends with them if you met them today? And I feel like that's a good barometer for who I'm still good friends with and who I still talk to. And it's a keen, it's a keen way of looking at it. It's like, there's people in your life that you were buddies with that I don't think if you met today, you'd be friends with them anymore. And that's kind of where I, that's where I gauge who I'm going to continue my relationships with. It's like, if I met them today, do we still have a thing that we would connect on? Or was it just a thing from a moment in my life? You know? Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard that uh, before uh, uh, that concept of would you, do you still have anything in common? Yeah. Or is your only thing you have in common is that you were friends in college and you, keep talking about those times and not really talking about right. these times. Right. Uh, so are your friendships mainly back home? I mean, do you, do you hang out with a lot of comedians? Or? No, I mean, I, I have, um, I have a, like a small group of comics that I've kind of like, I mean, that's an interesting perspective. I'm, I'm interested in your view on of like over the years, you know, when you start, you start with a million comedic friends and everyone, you're all friends. And then as time goes on, people go different directions. Some people split off and stop stand up. Some people get more into TV or this or that. And there's only so many guys that kind of, it it really does whittle down to something tiny as far as a group. And I've stayed friends with um, a fair amount of those guys that I started with, if they're still doing stand up. But sadly, if they quit, it's like, it's almost like they quit us. You know what I mean? Like when guys quit stand up, you're like, you quit us, you quit us. And I can't, I can't, I have to keep on this train, you know? So I would say my tightest group of friends is a couple of stand-ups and then guys that aren't in our business. Or, I mean, they're in ancillary parts of the business, but not what we do, you know? I just, it's, it's, because uh, this is something interesting about you to me is, you know, you're such a nice, uh, cordial guy. And when it comes to stand-up, you're, you're always saying hi, you're always polite to everyone. You always do the right thing, so to speak. And then when you're done doing stand up, you're kind of out. It's like a, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's almost like a job to you. When I see you come to the store, you're so focused and it's impressive because a lot of us are goofing around and fucking off too much. Then I watch you go in and work and then you leave. You don't really kind of, you know, play that comedy store game a lot. That's not, that's not your thing. huh? I did when I first started. I mean, yeah. when I, 1998, when I first came out here, I was hanging in the halls goofing around and, you know, parking lot till it closed. And, and, uh, you know, 
it was just the culture, which it, which it is today. Um, but as I, number one, got married yeah, uh, and had a wife to come home to, I mean, I had nobody. I was alone. Yeah. What am yeah. I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> uh, but, you know, I got married uh, and then subsequently had kids. And then when you start becoming more involved in your family, and you tend for me to, you know, I was had to get up at 530 because the kids were crying or what have you start making food or breakfast. It's, it's not necessarily I don't want to hang out and I'm super focused. It's more of more of a get it done and then go back because if I don't, I'll end up hanging out here till 230 in the morning. Right. Food up. I think also the older I got, I could I didn't have the energy to do that. Uh, and, and like I said, I think I had my fill of it. Uh, when I first started doing comedy from 1998 to 2005, I was at the comedy store pretty much every night waiting. Uh, I put my name up on the uh, fallout list. Right. And waited there from nine to two o'clock pretty much every night, hoping someone would fall out so I could do comedy. So, you know, I, you know, I, I think I just moved on to another chapter of my life and I, I really enjoy hanging out with the guys there. It's just, um, you know, sometimes it's like, uh, all right, get it, get in and out and, and go back yeah. home. No, I mean, look, the process is, is, is it, it, it's, it is a part of time and movement. I see guys do that too. Like Segura also is a family guy too, who comes and goes pretty quickly because he needs to, there's guys that like need to. And then there's also guys that are older that, uh, of the older generation that hang out. I mean, Jeff Ross is still there now. He's waiting for the store to open. I don't think he's left. I think he's been there. <laughs> I think he's playing music out of his car in the lot and he'll, he'll be there until the pandemic's done. I think he said he's throwing a, a six month party, but no, I think it's, I think it's a cultural thing. That's good. Is like we learn to, and I guess I'm tying this into our relationships and our friendships and stand up continue to change and mold and shift as far as the relationship that exists, both from the, from comedy and then what you remove and take out of it as far as who I hang out with away from the parking lot. You know what I mean? That's a whole separate you know, cause my, so my wife always jokes, she's like, well, that guy's more of like a buddy, not a friend. She's got these like little like subcategories and she knows better than I do. Sometimes I'll go, yeah, I guess I don't, I don't even really realize it until she calls me out on my, my shit, you know, like, and it's only cause she's seen it from the jump, you know, like your wife has seen the stages of your career and they know better than we do. You know what I mean? Cause they're such, they're such an inside outside perspective. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty wild. Like, has your wife ever given you a piece of career advice or something in that realm. I, I don't want to encapsulate it with just that, but has she ever said something that you didn't think of that you're like, how did I not, like, how do I not see that? And it's only because she's in it with you and not literally on it with you, like not on stage, but she knows all of it, you know? I think uh, my wife, uh, as well as your wife, kind of sees these things just because she's not so immersed in it however my wife is kind of involved in my career in a creative sense when it comes to putting a poster up or looking at stage lighting for a special or what have you she's she's an artist so she has that eye but yeah i think it's very critical to have those those moments those those moments of input from uh, a, a wife a father a mother a sister whoever you're close to uh, because uh, they know you so well and yeah. they uh, dictate 
where some of this might go, uh, where we might be a little bit more blinded to it. Uh, yeah. How long have you been with your wife? Uh, married for four. Yeah. So, so did you know her a, a long oh, time? Oh, yeah, a long time before that. Yeah, before we got married. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you meant how long we've been married. Yeah, no, we've known each other for a long time. I mean, we knew each other when we were, you know, when, when, uh, when Wendy's was the only meal options. Do you know what I mean? It was like when it was yeah. nickel and diming and scared to not pay my car note, you know, so nervous about making my Hyundai Sonata car note that I was like, what if I just, I used to, I used to joke. I was like, what if I just get it stolen? You know, <laughs> that's the risk. That's the racetrack in you. <laughs> I, w- I did used to think, I was like, when I got nervous about not making bills, I was like, how could I, how could I scam the insurance, but, st- but not hurt anybody? You know what I mean? Like, what if I help the community? If I tell a guy at a gas station, like, Hey, the fucking keys are in the car. It's running. You know, like, what if I do that? So, I used to get so nervous about not paying stuff. I, I didn't know. Yeah. She's been around since then. And she was in the same position. We both were, we're broke, broke. We didn't have, uh, I didn't come out here with billionaire parents. I didn't come out here with the, you know, my family certainly, I would never even say like we, I wouldn't say like, oh, we grew up broke and we struggled. No, we, we were fine. We were a, a working family. You know what I mean? My, 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 both my mom and my dad always worked my whole life. My mom still works. Unfortunately, I wish she didn't, but yeah, we we, we were in an average middle-class family and I didn't come out here with the advantage that some friends have, which I'm jealous of. I'm not hating on that. You know, they didn't have to get a gig to, to, to make, and I had to get a couple of gigs to get by until I could finally quit and just do stand up. you know? And I was jealous that, like, I know you did too. You, you worked when you got out here. Uh, you served right away. Didn't you, you bartended or served? I served, I came here in 98, uh, March 3rd, 1998 and wanted to get a job waiting tables. I, you know, kind of, basically grew up in the hospitality business, work, working at restaurants my entire life. And I couldn't get a job for the life of me. In six weeks, I applied everywhere in the city and uh, eventually ended up at the Four Seasons Hotel where I worked from 98 to 2005, which was a great job. I, I really had, oh, and I'm going to say a lot of money, but you know, I, I had a nice little chunk of cash. I wasn't really worried. There's one time I, I, I screwed up. I I, I hated waiting tables. I just, it, it was, I was getting really salty and oh yeah. And I changed directions. I started working for Dish Network, selling satellite dishes out of a kiosk, out of, out of a, a, a mall in the ghetto on Martin and Crenshaw. Oh, Bald- shit. Baldwin Hills. Baldwin Hills Mall, man. Yeah, I know it. That's a place to get sneakers. If you're going to get shoes, you might as well go down to Baldwin Hills. They got the best shoes. Uh, and the best, they had the best shoes and apparently satellite dishes. Uh, <laughs> you want some kicks? You want a dish? Come down to Baldwin Hills. <laughs> yeah, so I, I went there and I wanted to see if I could sell satellite dishes, which didn't work out for me. I spiraled. I went into a debt. I had $10,000 worth of debt. My, my uh, father and mother bailed me out. They paid off my credit card, and then I ended up paying my father every dime back. Uh, and then back to the four seasons to work. So that was kind of my deal. I, I didn't want to come out here because I really had no experience in doing stand up comedy prior to leaving Chicago. And I, and I didn't want to like live on somebody's couch 
and try to get a gig for $15 here and $28 there. I wanted to not worry about bills so I could focus on, on the comedy. Cause you know, I, I, I become in, in like wrapped up in like, Oh man, am I going to make the rent? And then I lose focus maybe on the comedy. So sure. I just want job where I could pay my bills and focus more on the comedy. So that's what I did for seven years uh, at, at the, at the four seasons until I just started headlining comedy clubs for $1,500 a week. Yeah. You said March 3rd, right? Isn't that the date? Yeah. Everybody yeah. remembers their date. Isn't that weird? You re I mean, mine was significant. Mine was the 4th of July. I moved out here 4th of July, 2006. I packed, I broke up with my girlfriend and I packed up the U-Haul and I left and came out here. And when I first started coming around the store, I remember seeing when I was a miker, you, you guys were, I remember seeing, you know, I get names. I remember all the time, like Dov Davidoff was around the store a lot back then when I first came out here. Um, you know, you Caparulo was around a lot. You know, there were, there was like a chunk of guys that I remember watching and I used to sit in the back of the room a lot, uh, and watch. And it's weird to watch and to see like, you know, not to kiss ass, but to see your career progress so much, it's kind of a beautiful thing to watch and a well-deserved thing, truthfully. Um, cause if you didn't, I would tell you, I'd go, you fucking, you don't deserve an ounce of it. No, but yeah, <laughs> cause there's a couple of guys. No, <laughs> there's some guys that don't deserve it, dude. No, but to watch, to watch, uh, guys that I, that I really did think it, um, had, you know, just had that, had, had that thing that I'm like, man, I can't wait to see this thing progress and get bigger. I feel like Burr was like that too. When I first moved out here, I remember watching and knowing about him and hearing about him and then seeing him more and more. I just was like, oh man, to see that the growth of, of certain people was always, always great to watch. You know, it was, it, it, it's a, it was a beautiful thing. And, 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 um, you know, I think it just gives hope for younger guys when you watch people that you like, who you think are good, do well, because it gives you this idea that you're like, oh, okay, if you're good and you work your ass off, it's going to work. You just, you don't know when, you know what I mean? Like you, there is no timetable. You know what I mean? Your dentist goes to school and then you become a dentist. You know what I mean? We don't have that advantage of like, oh, I just, if I go to the club every year for 10 years straight, I'll make it. It's like, mm, you got to have, you got to be good. <laughs> you got to. It, it, you have to be good. You have to work hard. And there's like a window though. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you see guys that I started with and it's like, you see the window start to close. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying you can't make it in your fifties or your sixties or whatever, but what I'm saying is there's this window. And if you don't jump through it, 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 it closes pretty quickly. And I was just fortunate enough to, to just, you know, I, develop my voice, get, get a point of view, get a fan base. Um, my fans basically, um, it's funny. I was talking about this on another uh, podcast that I started doing this kind of Italian. It's not Italian. It was really more personal stories. It just happened to have this Italian take on it. And I was going to put, uh, put it in a special. It was this joke about going to Italian weddings and, and I was like, hey, should I leave that in there? Is that too specific? Are people going to get this reference? And I left it in there. And that kind of one little joke spawned this following of the Italian community, which kind of globbed on and, and 
groups. Uh, and then I just started really enjoy, enjoying my material more, talking about more personal, my dad and how I grew up, rather than this broad observational type humor that right. I had been six or seven years, which I still enjoy doing. But as you well know, as you grow as a comedian, I think you start feeling a lot more comfortable exposing yourself to the audience. And those jokes to me are, are the best when I really start getting to know a comedian and kind of his life or her life or what they've done. Um, and then peppering it in also with observational humor. But yeah, yeah, it's been a long road. This is, this is not something for, at least for me that happened overnight. I have no TV or movie credits that kind of catapulted me into um, what I'm doing today. It was just, like I said, just going to comedy clubs yeah. and, and shaking people's hand after the show, taking pictures, just to sit out in the lobby. I used to look, I used to look at it and I still do as like my comedy shows, like you come into my house, I'm going to like entertain you, give you food and drink. And then when you leave, I'm going to stay at the door and thank you for coming. Right. Uh, making that personal connection. And, uh, and I, I didn't do it as out of a business uh, move. I did it because I really was appreciative that somebody had actually paid a ticket and, and came to see me do comedy. And um, it, it worked because those people came back with their neighbors, their family members. I mean, people just like, 14 people would come as a group right and I was, wow that's that's really cool so yeah it's uh thank god for the comedy store if i didn't have the comedy store i, I wouldn't have made that, that same place really yeah right it just yeah. really get a, a place to kind of play and and hang out with other comedians and and uh, it was a place that i felt safe and um I can't wait till. Do you know when this thing's opening up? No, man. You know, I I spoke to uh, Adam uh, Egit, uh, and he said September is the earliest that LA, the city said they could even let, um, you know, half crowds or whatever that they could even start to let in a uh, half percentage crowds in around September. But who knows? I mean, you know, it's so vague. I, you know, have you done comedy? No. And like you, I, I don't, uh, <laughs> I've been offered to do a couple of those zoom shows and I, and I refuse to do them and you know, not to shit on people that do, it's just, I know it's not what I would do best. So that's what I've said. I've said, and also I, I did, I've said this before. I feel like it's disenfranchising my fans that paid. I sold out a tour this year. That's supposed to be happening right now for the first time in my career. I've never sold out rooms like this and i was so grateful and then 2020 stepped right on my nuts i was like great i worked you know like i finally started selling out theaters and you know four nights at a club across the country my last date was in philly and i sold out all four shows at helium and that was my last date because i went to chicago to play talia hall for two for a show and uh and they had to cancel it that day you know the the mayor was like you can't so that was like the end of my run and and I feel like I had sold all these tickets for the rest of the year. And I was like, man, this is like disenfranchising my audience that bought tickets to see me. And now I'm saying, I know you bought those tickets. I'm not even going to be there in July. You want to watch me on the computer for 25 bucks? I just, there's something about it that I'm like, it's, it, it made me feel dirty. So I was like, I'm just going to give them their show when I can give them their show. And their money is 
tied up with Ticketmaster and Live Nation and whatever. So, you know, I was like, I'll do podcasting and give them entertainment this way. And then when they can see me on stage again, that's when they'll see me on stage again. That's, you know, that's how I figured in my head because I just, I don't know. I watched a Zoom show. A friend gave me a code to watch our friends do it. And uh, not not for me. I just, yeah. Well, when it's 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 not how comedy should be enjoyed. No, and I would I would I'm with you. I mean, why you cheapen your brand? I think when you start doing the hey, come see me in my living room and for ten dollars. <laughs> yeah, I could. I, I didn't want to do it. I, I just was like, it's not. It's also how not how I translate. And I imagine you, even though we're very different comedically, but like, uh, you 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 really do connect with an audience. You, you, you are, you have the ability, especially the way you perform. It's extremely cohesive with the way that they're feeling. You, you're, you do very well at digging into the audience and getting in with them. Even though it's not like you're saying, look at this guy over here. Your, your jokes are, are, um, you have the ability, the way you write and the way you perform that it grips people. It like gets them inside, inside of this thing with you. And I think through this medium, I just don't think that works. And I'm not a guy who just does like set up, punch, set up, punch, set up, punch. That's just not who I am anyway. And I need to feel the audience a little bit more too. You know, I just, it's, it's something that I physically, I would need, you know, cause it's just not, you know, and I've had comics go, you don't even know till you try it. It's like, I, I see, <laughs> I have eyes. I could see. I, it. Wa- I watched you and it was. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I saw you do the shit. I don't think so. Let me, let me ask you this. You can, you can plead the fifth on this if you want. Um, but I'm curious to know not too long ago, uh, uh, dice came at you online for some reason and I don't know why and was attacking you and it was kind of put to bed really fast. But what, why was there weird beef? What was the impetus for all this stuff? I don't know. I, I, I believe it started with, um, I had a chapter I, I wrote in my book about Dice and hanging out with him and there was no, nothing. You know, I had a great right. experience with both for two, two years. And, uh, this is when I was still waiting tables, I would go out with him to Las Vegas and Indian casinos all over the country and had, had a good experience. I got a, a chance to get in front of really large audiences and, there, some of them were really hostile, and I, I bailed off stage one night because the crowd really got to me, and I, I it flustered me, and I ended my set early, and I came off, and he told me, you know, you, you never, you never come off early. You do your time, and uh, because now I was because he was preparing to go on at a certain time, and I fucked up his mojo. So I mean, I, I just learned a lot about stand up and, and performance. And then uh, I don't know. I, I you know, the, I, I saw some some tweets or some Instagrams that he was posting that I was, uh, you know, I, I was wearing jackets and, and whatnot, and he thought maybe that I was I was stealing his um, look or whatever. But you know, we never spoke about it. Um, you know, I, I I I actually don't know where it it came from. Yeah, and I didn't address anything online. I, I never really look at things online uh, when it comes to 
someone tweets at me or Instagram comments or whatnot, I don't really engage with it because I feel if you engage with it, it uh, it just kind of snowballs. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was unfortunate. I, I don't think uh, that beef is still there. I think it's kind of quelled. I never, I never had a beef with, with Dice Clay. He's, uh, he's someone that gave me an opportunity and I, uh, I definitely, uh, was appreciative of it. I just don't know, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know where it all came from, but, um, right. Can I give my opinion? (laughs) (laughs) As an outsider, um, you know, who I respect and love comedy more than anything. It's probably why I started it. You know, that I'm, we're all fans of, we're all fans of comedy before you get into it. Now, whether you stay a fan of comedy when you're in it is a whole nother thing. Whether you fall out of love with it is another thing. But I, I liked Dice when I was young and watching him was impressive and it was unique. And, you know, I do feel like as now I've embedded myself in this world and I understand the dynamics and the politics of comedy. Um, you're a guy who uniquely popped extremely hard from being who you are. And um, I think oftentimes the generations above us at any level get jealous, whatever the word you want to use, um, envious of success and career movement because perhaps theirs isn't like that anymore or, or it's just, it's, it's common jealousy. We all have jealousy, but you, you popped so significantly in a way that was unique. It was it was deserved. It was organic. Do you know what I mean? So I think a lot of times people are going to hate those things. I mean, you, you know, like people are going to hate you because you're good and successful because it's, um, people get jealous. And, it, and, and I think it's, that has nothing to it's not because they don't like you. It's just because they, they envy your, your, your success and your growth. And perhaps they envy the fact that you've settled so deeply into you and making yourself great that it's, you know, it's something more people wish they could do or have. Now, whether they had it before and don't have it anymore, wink, wink, you know, that's a whole thing. I just think it's just you, you settling into who you really are and, 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 and harboring that is, is, is awesome to watch if you're a fan, but it also can make you jealous if you feel like perhaps that's not what you have anymore. You know, that's, that's, that's my two cents. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's understandable. It's also societal too. And not to hop off the, that, that train. I, I, I just don't know when it became, uh, looked down upon. It just seems that way now to have success mm-hmm. and, and, you know, people shit on, uh, people who are thriving and are building you know, whatever a business for themselves, a career for themselves, and you know it, it, none of this was given to us. Uh, like you said, you you were you were wondering when your Wendy's you know, went to <laughs> some car, light your car on fire at the like <laughs> the insurance, and you know I was going into financial ruin working at a kiosk. In the in the in the in the mall, so you know, we we figured it out, and now we are flourishing. And for me, growing up, man, I, I used to love watching or seeing what people, you know, I still do. I, you know, yeah. I, I still, well, you know, I, I give you an example. I, I went to the Grove 
when the Grove first opened here in Los Angeles in 2002. And I fell in love with the Grove. I, I was like, this place is a, a nice experience. Yes. I, would love, I would love to meet the guy behind this whole thing. I found out uh, who it was. His name is Rick Caruso. Right. And last year, I got the opportunity to, to meet him. We went out to lunch. And we became, you know, kind of fast friends. And, you know, the guy's a very successful real estate developer. And I learn and strive to kind of be, not him, but like, just, you get inspired. Yeah. When success became frowned upon, like, am I supposed to what, like, you know, like, and I'm like, I, I, I don't like to show off. It's not my style. I'm, I'm not a guy that shows off things or, or, or whatever. Um, but am I just supposed to like act like I'm what still, still working at the mall? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Right. Hey, man, you work so hard to get where you're at. And then it's not like I'm, I listen to a lot of that, but it's just like when I just I just look around society today. When is it when is it frowned upon uh, to be successful and make something out of yourself? In here, we pour whiskey. Attention, all whiskey drinkers! If you're like me, you tend to be a black sheep in your family and those around you. Listen up! All you got to do is grab yourself a bottle of Screwball whiskey. I've talked about this stuff before. It's uh, the OG peanut butter whiskey, man. It's uh, delicious. Its flavor is intense. It is a sipping whiskey. I'm not. I'm not sure you're going to be drinking this all night long, but it's something slow and delicious to uh, wet your palate with. I've said it before. I like to put it on ice cream late at night uh, after I've had a long, tough day. But you can put it on many things. Put it on rocks if you like. Drink it straight up. It is very sweet and delicious and uh, good for the soul. It's from right here in Southern California. Uh, they're doing some great things at Screwball Whiskey. They're also very good people. During the pandemic, they've donated a ton of money, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to different charities to make sure that people are still getting what they need during times of need, which I think is very cool. Uh, and I appreciate companies that do stuff like that. They're the original, most awarded peanut butter whiskey. It's now available anywhere near you. Go to a liquor store and grab this stuff. Tag us in it. Uh, hashtag get screwed. Let us know that you're drinking it, that you enjoy it. 70 proof. Screwball peanut butter whiskey is the perfect shot or perfect addition to your favorite cocktail. Pick it up at your local store or get it delivered. Don't even need to leave the house. Uh, go to screwballwhiskey.com if you want more information about the jazz. Enjoy responsibly this advertisement by Screwball Spirits LLC, San Marcos, California. Whiskey with natural flavors and caramel in color, 35% alcohol by volume. Drink it up responsibly. Don't be a dumbo. Have fun. Whiskey Ginger fans, I've talked a lot about my love for the game of golf. I love golf very much. If you're a big golfer, there's no reason to not get involved with Golf Critique. Go to golfcritique.com. They are the number one site to go to see user reviews about courses, instructors. Um, it is incredible. Golf Critique is great. They're trying to show young people that there's more options out there to find out about golf in your area. If you don't like golf, too bad for you. You must not like going outside, swinging a club, having a good time, having a couple beers and some laps with some buds. That's on you, pal. Golf is a fun way to connect. If you want to get out there and golf, sign up for Golf Critique. It has a, a review of everything in your area to let you know 
what the difficulty level is, uh, what the perks are, and Golf Critique offers all sorts of stuff like discounts. Uh, if you sign up today, uh, eight finalists are going to be selected to win an all-expenses-paid trip to Historic Pinehurst in North Carolina with Celebrity Golf to play with Brian Erlacher and Holly Saunders. Sounds pretty good. And one person is going to get $25,000 in their pocket. Sounds like a no-brainer. It's simple, pimple. All you got to do is sign up. Put in my referral code, 26793. Click the link below. Once a member, uh, write a review. That's all you got to do, and you're eligible to win. Simple stuff. It's so dumb. It's so easy. Why wouldn't you do it? It could be 25 Gs in your pocket. Right now, go to golfcritique.com and get your ass signed up, dummy. Use the promo code WHISKEY at the checkout to receive 15% off of the annual premium membership. And also, sign up. Sign up to win $25,000 and play golf with Brian Erlacher or Holly Saunders. Go have some fun across this great country. Golfcritique.com is the best search engine in golf. Back to the episode. Ginger. I like gingers. Right. I, yeah, no. Well, what's interesting is um, people want you to become successful. You know, when they are fans of you, like they want you to grow. They want to support your brand. They want to come to your shows and tell your friends and, and buy this merch and go see them here and da 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 da. They want you to grow. And then at some point, when you do receive the growth and you get what you deserve, so to speak, there are small little ancillary characters that are angry that you are winning. And I only imagine, and it's a cliche, but it's because they're losing. I think people get mad because they're losing and you're winning in whatever fashion that is, even if they're not in your same industry. I think it's, 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 um, it's annoying to see people doing well when you're not doing well and you don't have a positive outlook on on those things. I, I think there's never been a winner jealous of, uh, jealous of somebody else doing well, right? It's, it's tends to be a loser. You're a loser. If you say, Oh, do you see Sebastian's got uh, this and this? Yeah. Yeah. And I heard he sat and had lunch with the Grove guy. I mean, it's like that guy, <laughs> that guy would have the Grove guy, you know, he had lunch with the Grove guy. Yeah. At the Grove, they had lunch at the Grove. Um, at his new restaurant called Sebastian's it's an Italian joint. <laughs> But like that guy must be a loser to care so much. If you're winning, and I, I, this is something that I was taught a, a long time ago, um, is that there's plenty, of, there's plenty of food to go around. We can all get our own little slice. So why are you focused on some guy's meal? Like worry about your own meal. My dad used to joke, worry about your own dick was an old phrase of like, worry about your own dick. Like you worry about your manhood and your responsibility and your problems and your issues. You're going to have a lot of them. Like, don't worry about somebody else's dick. It's, and it, you know, it made me laugh as a kid and I got older and I realized, oh, it, it's levels. It's what he's saying is your, your, your private, your private information, your private life, your, your career, your hopes, your dreams, everything that lives inside of you, you as a man, you should worry about all that stuff, not about another man's shit, success, failure. It's a waste of time. You're going to have so much time occupying your own space, figuring out your own relationships, you know, in, in, in and out of love, your, your, your career, your friendships, all these things. You, you, you'll have enough weight worrying about all those. Wasting time worrying about somebody else's detracts from yours. You know, it just takes away from your growth. So fuck people that don't like, you know, success. And in that regard, now I want you to drive around in one of those nine Ferraris that you have. I, I say, zoom it around town, baby. Don't be ashamed. I think I drive I, a bird. 
Yeah, what's that? I, I have a bird scooter. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a lime. I thought you're a lime guy. I didn't know what. Yeah, Sebastian, <laughs> he's given away all of his cars, and now he's birding around town. You can't be ashamed. I'm not that guy. I don't even have. I, I got two cars. I got the. Uh, that's it. I, I'm not. I'm. I'm not that guy. I'm not. What do you indulge not, in? What do you indulge in? Is there something that you do? Yes, I. I indulge in vacations. Experience. Yes. Nice. That's kind of where I spend my money. So, uh, about two years ago, I took my um, my family, my mom, my sister. Uh, her kids, her husband, we all went to Tuscany for a week. Lovely. And I'd rather just spend my money and, and do it right in Tuscany than, you know, spend money on a car. I mean, I like nice cars, don't get me wrong, but uh, we get extreme enjoyment out of family time and, uh, and vacations. I mean, if I wasn't a comedian, I would love to open up a small boutique hotel um where um i i haven't really thought of the location i'm more i'm more thinking about how i every time i go into a hotel and my wife is like this too we kind of critique the experience mm -hmm. for seasons hotel so i have knowledge on kind of the inner workings of a luxury branded hotel and you know, I, I just see things that maybe the average person that's attending a four or five day stay would not pick out. Sure. Uh, my experience uh, at hotels, you could have the, the most pretty uh, lobby, you could have unbelievable uh, pool and, and all these amenities, but if you don't have the people, uh, and the hospitality that those people provide, your hotel is really just a, a building. Right. And yeah, I mean, I really get a kick out of going and, and just seeing the presentations. And I get, I don't know, I don't know if I'm sick, but like if I go into a show and I come back, I love a turndown. <laughs> yes, yes. I love to see how they did it, like what yeah. they did. They took whatever I had out in the bathroom and made it orderly on a little mat. You know, like, I'm excited. That's... <laughs> it's so true, though. It makes, it gives you, um, it's like in a weird way, sexy. It's like this, sec it's like sexy to see. I mean, maybe it's also because I have severe... Uh, OCD because my dad is a, a psychopath who made you know like if shoes were by the door he'd be like are the shoes gonna go outside and I'm like what do you mean he's like why are they by the door are they waiting to go out no then put them where they fucking put them away he was he's a psychopath not nothing could be left out so my cleanliness and my or, my organ my house Whitney uh, Whitney came over and she goes your house looks like a a, a fucking uh, it's from a TV show set. She goes, nothing is not where it doesn't belong. I was like, yeah, that's because my dad, everything had a place. It's like, it was militant. I mean, he was a, he was a, uh, a, a military kid. So it was just kind of like, everything has to be where it is. So when I go to the hotel and I see how they do it, it's something sexy about it. There's something like invigorating. You're like, oh my God, they remapped my life. Like when our, when the cleaning lady redoes my fridge, it like gets me horny. You know, and I see how she, she reorganizes the drinks. I'm like, God, this, this, 
she's played sex Tetris with all my items inside of my fridge. It's like sad that I get on, I get off on it. It's like, there's something about the cleanliness that gets me like, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's sexy, but you're right. You're right to say that, uh, the difference of a good hotel, especially because we live in hotels, you, the difference is, is tremendous when you go from a hotel that's just a place to a hotel that has particular, very specifics about how they, how they do things. There is this experience is, it makes a big difference. You know, a lot of people are like, well, hotels, a hotel is a hotel. You're like, no, not when you stay in a lot of hotels like we have, there's, it makes a huge difference. You know, small stuff to me makes massive differences in hotels because we live in them. Yeah, I, I totally agree, especially coming up and staying at the places that we stay, comedy condos. Mm -mm. Do you have a comedy condo that sticks out in your head that you're like? Yeah. I mean, when, I mean, the old store condo in La Jolla was one of the most disgusting places I've ever seen in the history of my life. I mean, um, that place, you know, the old, also the old Denver Comedy Works, downtown Larimer Square. Did you ever stay in that with the old, on the top floor or whatever? Yeah, that, the, <laughs> It was so gross. The, 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 the carpet. Oh my God. <laughs> like it gives me flashbacks of like feeling anxious. You know, like I, I almost would stay out all night just to not go back to the condo. Cause I was like, I don't want to go back there and go to bed in there. I'd rather just stay out and drink all night. Cause it was, ugh, it was so gross. So gross. I think you hit it on the head with that one. Uh, that one, I had a specific experience. I was going to bed the first night I, I got there late probably about eight o'clock in the night. I went to bed around 10.30. And I heard like a buzzing. <laughs> and I turned on that kitchen light and there was a, a horse fly in the, uh, in the uh, condo. Now, yeah. I can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I can't go to bed with a mosquito in the room, let alone a horse, horse fly. fly. So it was three hours or four hours trying to like locate it, kill it and whatnot. And that, that, that experience that night, I actually checked, checked out of the condo and went down the street and stayed at the Four Seasons. And I literally told myself, I will not make any money this weekend. I just want to be comfortable. So yeah. I was making like $2,000 for the weekend and the hotel stay was like whatever, 1200 Right. And, uh, yeah. I pride myself on hotels. Yeah. <laughs> I, can I can feel it. You know what? Honestly, I'm not kidding around. You should. Uh, I, would, I don't know why a business venture wouldn't be in your future to open up a boutique hotel because, you know... Why not? Like what you say it like uh, maybe one day. Why isn't it something that you'd want to do right now? I mean, what's why not? Because of time, focus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me right now, my my energy is really kind of concentrated on stand up comedy, and sure. uh, and I just don't. I'm not a guy that has a lot of energy to dedicate to multiple things. I mean, you you know, like I give you an example, Kevin Kevin Hart. You know, he's got his toe in every yeah every, he just has the energy to do that i i find myself if i'm spreading myself too thin the things don't get the type of attention they need and they they're not as as good as they should be so yeah for me now it's more like you know i, I would like to concentrate on my podcast more i've been doing a podcast 
for six and a half years with Pete Corielli. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's basically under the radar. We do it once a week. We have no guests. And um, it's been a challenge for us to see if we can get any true momentum with it. You know, I, I just look around at these podcasts and I'm like, my God, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, the Rogans, the Marins, the, the Kreischers. And uh, yeah, it seems like there's like a little family of uh, like podcasters kind of like yeah, came like up little, together, it, similar to like the way you were. Yeah, it's like a little network. It's like a little baby. It's a little, it's a little tiny network for some reason that's been created kind of on its own accord. I, I don't, it not, wasn't really, I don't know if it was conscious by any means, but it just kind of birthed itself for some reason. I, and I could, you can't, I can't really explain it. Like, I don't know why it's, it's one thing. It's a thing that we'll look back on in 20 years and go, Oh my, yeah, that was one of these little things that existed. But I think, but, but, but it also, the beauty of podcasting, I love it to death, but the, 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 the beauty is that you get to connect with an audience. The, the unfortunate thing is a lot of times it, um, it kind of subcategorizes you as like a podcast person and you're like, well, I'm a standup and I also act and podcasting is, for, it's like my fun, but there's a lot of people that just, they love podcasts. Like they don't give a shit about standup. They don't care about the other stuff. They just want to have this, this part of their life when they're going to work. And that's fine too. It's just, it's interesting to find, I have new audience members now that I don't even know if they're standup fans, but they'll come see you because they love your podcast. And they're like, yeah, man, I, you know, I, this is my first comedy show and it, I, I, and I love it. Cause I'm like, oh shit, did I turn you on to stand up? Like, am I introducing you? You should watch these other guys, my other friends. And sometimes they're like, yeah, I think we'll start going to shows. But sometimes they're like, no, nah, I don't, you know, I don't really just wanted to come see you. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Sure. Have you uh, had in your experience more podcast listeners come to see you or have you had stand-up fans listen to your podcast? Does your, does your, does your stand-up fans also your podcast fans? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, mo but I would say when I do a show now, like a good gauge for me, uh, sometimes I'll ask, you know, I'll ask afterwards, you know, I'll talk to people. I, I'll talk to... Like you said, I, 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 you can't do it anymore. You, you've, you've grown to a, a level where you couldn't meet people after the show. You can't meet every person. Your, your crowds are massive. But I'm still doing clubs and, and tiny little baby theaters, and I still get to, to touch hands and still see them. Um, and uh, most times I ask people, you know, are, did you, you know, are you a fan of, the, the, of podcasting or do you know, you know, through, and I would say it's a pretty even splits, maybe 60, 40, sometimes vice versa, each way of they're big podcast fans or they're just stand up and they're not really into podcasts. And it shifts depending on the city. Some cities it's so dominant stand up. You know, I would say Denver, we referenced it already. Denver is a big stand up city and they, there are certain cities I just I think hardcore comedy fans and they just love stand up and they follow the world. The world in a parallel tends to be part of this podcast thing because we're all kind of on these networks together and we all intermingle. So they all, they've kind of started a layer, but um, podcasting has grown my stand-up business a lot because I couldn't get it done on. I wasn't a late night guy. I did one Conan set, you know, uh, I didn't really, I didn't get to do Letterman or Leno or any of that stuff. And I didn't really do any of the new ones and, Com you know, I had a Comedy Central half hour, which might as well have been 
you know, me just talking to myself in my garage. I mean, no one saw that, you know? So it's just a lot of times I, like, you know, and I did a Showtime special a couple of years ago when our show came out and that didn't get a lot of traction and I didn't really love it anyway. So, but it's just, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't have things to put out there stand up wise. So it was kind of like, they can't see me enough. So this helps people connect. And then when I get them to show and they go, shit, I'm a fan. This was kind of my entryway to, to gaining more fans, you know, because today it's hard. There's so many standups and there's so much standup online now. It's really hard to compete. I mean, guys are putting their hours out online, you know, there's guys that are throwing out their hours just, just on the internet and it's great. It's just that, you know, I'm not, I'm not up there yet. I'm not at that speed yet. I don't know if I want to, I would want to put out an hour just on YouTube yet. I don't know. You know, it's tough. It's a, like you, 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 your generation, I feel like might be the last one to grow the brand as organic as you did. That might be ignorant to say, cause we don't know yet, but this next wave of standups, I feel like has to find so many new ways to connect now because there's so much noise. You know, there's so many ways for people to see stand up that I don't know if the traditional way will work anymore. Who knows? You know, like your audience is organically your audience that you grew from being on the road for years from um, you did, you did a few TV sets, you know, you did some late night stuff and then it just, yours grew from, from that organic, honest standpoint of fans telling fans, telling fans, fans, telling fans. And I don't know if that's still going to be the experience in the future. It, it feels more like you have to connect with them on the internet. Uh, you have to connect with them on podcasts and to show that you are a part, want them a part of this world. It's, you know, we used to kind of have ambiguity, you know, Mitch Hedberg could be this ambiguous creature, one liner who put out a few things here and there. And, and that was it. And then, and then blossomed in this, you know, and, and especially posthumously became this mega famous comedian but I just don't know if that would work anymore if you, if you didn't connect at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you do have to have a lot of irons in the fire. Not a lot, but just adjusting your approach maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't you still can make it going to comedy clubs and building a fan base that way in addition yeah. Uh, your podcast or your TV show or your book or whatever you have out there um but yeah i mean i don't know man starting comedy now opposed to when i started in 98 uh i don't know if i would take a drastic change of anything that i did i mean obviously youtube wasn't really around back then right uh, but i think it was a culmination of things and i think it's, it's it's the podcast if it's a youtube video that you got that went viral it's a showtime special it's, uh, you know, it's a Showtime series or a Netflix special, whatever it is. I think it's like, it's just all of this. And yeah, you're right. There is a lot of noise, but I'm here to tell you, I, uh, it, it, there's not a lot of good stuff, right. in my opinion. I mean, yes, that's true. I'm just, I consume entertainment and uh, I think nowadays everybody thinks they can do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not begrudging those people that think they I can am. do it. I am. Okay. <laughs> I'm begrudging them. I just don't know why comedy has become the default. Yeah. Of, of, of like you could, 
you, if you have a fan base in another realm of, of whatever you're doing, and then you come, to, people always come to stand up like, yeah, I could do it. It's like, no, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it kind of cheapens the brand of stand up comedy. Totally. I just don't know why. It's like, I can't go and play drums tomorrow and be a part of my group. Right? It's like, I mean, you could, they're actually looking for a new drummer, to be honest. You'd, you'd fit right in. <laughs> no, yes. You're not, we can't just jump ship into some other thing. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it does cheapen the brand, but, but to your, to your point, ironically enough, good, the, the good standups will always shine through, right? There can be a lot of shit, but then someone sees you or sees a very talented comedian and goes, Oh God, this is fucking so different. I mean, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's, it's such, such a cliche, but the cream does rise to the top. The best will eventually just be seen as the best. It's just a fact of entertainment for what, for some reason, uh, you know, what, is it fair? No. Does everyone that's good make it? No, but you know, I still hold on to that thought that even though there's a lot of dog shit, when somebody comes and sees you, they go, Oh my God. I mean, that was, that's leaps and bounds different than what, than, you know, than what I've seen that my buddy showed me on YouTube, you know, or something, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, if they, once they get an, an eyes on something good, you know, it's good. I mean, it's the same with athletes. You know, when you go watch a great athlete, it's just, you know, you know what I mean? And everyone around you goes, holy shit, that thing is just better than all the other things that are trying to be this thing. And that's just for us, there's way, there's way more people trying to, trying to get in that don't have any credentials. I mean, right. You can't go, you know, I'm not trying to go walk on to the bears. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be like, come on, man, I can run routes, you know, like they like, get the fuck out of, take a hike, you know, like, but, but for some reason we have an open door policy. Anybody's allowed to try our thing. <laughs> Anybody's allowed to come in. It's like any asshole is allowed to just walk into the house and, and try it on. But at the end of the day, you know, the good are going to, are going to still stay up top. I, I, I believe so. I, the good are still oh, yeah. growing, you know? Sure. Right. I mean, the, the good, the, the cream always does rise. I, I do believe that. Yeah. But being in the business 22 years, I just find it odd that comedies, like you said, has this open door policy where yeah. if you, you were uh, you were doing something else and then you have a fan base, that fan base then comes over to see you do stand up. And to me, stand up doesn't, you just don't hop into the ship. This is something that you got to work at night in, night out. And you know, I'm still learning uh, every time I go on unique little whatever, whether it be a, a flicker of the eye or, or man, I, it just, it just, it's always a learning and, and you grow from that. And it doesn't, it's just, it's just repetition. You got to do it yeah. night in out uh, in order to really master it. Uh, and I don't even know if you can even master it, but, you just, you have to put the time in. I just find it, find it. No, I know. And I know what you're saying. You're being very polite about it as well. There's a lot of fucking yahoos that step into our game and are allowed to just kind of do it. And all of us know, you know, we all know, we all go, this fucking guy. <laughs> we just don't talk about it. It's just like, a, it's almost like a, it's a polite um, thing from like our youth that you're like, just, you know. Just be a nice guy. Let it go because you know what you do and you know how hard you work at what you do. And 
you can't help those things. You can't help that yeah. when somebody fails another, you know, when you, when someone fails at something over there, they became famous and they get kicked out of that thing. It, it's strange that they're allowed to just hop into our boat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I brought my life jacket. You're like, well, you didn't fucking, you didn't, you didn't, you not, this isn't your boat. You're, you know, but it, it is what it is. At the end of the day, you're, you know, you're still going to be, uh, you're still going to keep killing it. At your, in fact, let me say this to, we'll get off of that, but I have people sometimes come to shows, um, that will come up to me afterwards and go, you know, we've gone and seen some different shows and they'll name people that perhaps are like who you're talking about, that they've seen them because they came into town and they'll go, man. And I saw your show and you did an hour of stand up. I mean, it was like, it was like a fucking show. And they're like, God, that wasn't like that with so-and-so. And you open their eyes to them going, Oh, that's not, this is stand up. That was a fucking sideshow. That was a guy that was just allowed to waltz in and they, and he took my money because I know who he is and yada, yada. But I oftentimes do get that where people go, I came and watched you and you did a fucking show and you didn't do anything I thought you were going to do because the only thing we knew of you was we heard your podcast a few times and then they come see you do an hour of, of material of a show and they go, fuck that's stand up. Oh my God, that's different than, you know, what I saw the last time. And I think it kind of changes their viewpoint and people are smart. You know, people don't, people don't get enough credit. I feel like people, we talk shit about the American public, like they're dumb and they don't know, you know, people do that too often. Dude, people are keen. They know true standups and they know who is, or they, you know, a lot of them know, you know, who's a real comic and who's been a comic and who's in a part of, a part of this world. I think the, the real fans begin to, you know, teach other people. They're like, now nah, you should see so-and-so, you should see so-and-so. But um, that being said, if anybody gets a chance, uh, go see Sebastian because, uh, he's very funny and he needs another library. So you better go see him in 2021. Old, uh, have you ever library. walked up, have you ever walked up that ladder? There's no chance. My daughter has, uh, <laughs> that's yeah, but I, I haven't, I haven't walked up that. This is the definition of uh, when you're doing well that you just have a, co a computer on the floor that doesn't get used. That's <laughs> oh, it's at the floor computer. That's just there, just in case <laughs> all the desk computers are done. Well, listen, this is a computer, and again, my wife is so uh, talented when it comes to like design and whatnot. So I have a desk, and I have this this computer on the desk, and she's like, "Take it, take it off the desk." I go, what's my computer? Yeah. She goes, yeah, you have, you have a laptop. Just just use the laptop. The the, the big computer on the desk, it's kind of what, 2008? <laughs> so, I'm a desk that's clean that you can't put anything on it. Yeah. <laughs> so, Can I tell you something? She's right. She, Your <laughs> wife is once again right. It is. There's something about those iMacs on a big desk in a room that just has that outdated executive feel to it. That's like I walked into an executive's house and I know he never uses it. You know what I mean? Like it's a fixture of a, it's like a decor. It's like go buy the big iMac and put it on a desk in case somebody wants to know if I do computer stuff. It's like a, it's a, it's almost like hotel art. You know what I mean? That's like a piece of hotel art. <laughs> so yeah, it's. Literally, what you see when you walk into the office is a, 
a large, the only reason you should have something like this now that I've been on, on the other side of this is, is if you have three of these and you're trading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're day trading. Yeah. In fact, you should just get a few more just to put up in there. So when people come over and they're like, what's going on? You're like, I've been trading. Come on, let's go to the kitchen. We want to take it eat <laughs> just to throw it away. <laughs> um, Listen, uh, I really appreciate you uh, doing this and taking the time, Sebastian. It means a lot to me. Um, you're the best. I respect you, and I really do. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan uh, of you as a person, as a, as a comedian. Um, I, I really do appreciate you very much. Uh, people need to listen to you and Pete's podcast. Uh, they can find it anywhere podcasts are found, iTunes, Spotify, all the good jazz. Uh, you're going to be touring again in 2021. Everyone needs to go see you. We end the episode the same way uh, every time I ask the guests to say one word or one phrase to end the episode. Whenever you're ready, you can go ahead and do it. Work. In here, we pour whiskey, 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 whiskey. Oh, that creature in the ginger beard. Sturdy and ginger. Like that.